I'm going to steal something that I've never forgotten that I learned 35, 40 years ago. And I, people today may not be familiar with it. It's called the Entrepreneur's Credo. All right. And one major line in the Entrepreneur's Credo, in fact, it may be the first thing is never fall in love with your company. It is a thing, not a person. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups and seven eight-figure businesses, as well as the CEO and founder of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses put their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com and grab some time with us to chat. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, Bob Thayer, and to give you a bit of an introduction, so Bob kind of started his entrepreneurial journey, so to speak, at around uh, age 12 or 13 when he started to sell newspapers and deliver them. Um, He also uh, sold a device called the Bulb Saver, uh, which made your light bulbs last longer, especially pre-LED and other types of light bulbs. Um, Did that for a while, worked for other people, um, then went to school and finished that up for a while and uh, decided to excuse me, open up a American uh, wholesale jewelry in his early 20s, got into diamonds and gems and direct, or directly sourcing them. First sale was a Rolex and, and, and had a good time there. And then went from there um, to uh, another company and uh, did some technical sales for a period of time and then started and ran a microdata uh, business for about six or seven years. Afterwards, uh, started importing uh, opals from Australia. Correct. And then uh, from there started... Uh, BobThayerJr.com, where he stored watches and made custom watches, um, and then uh, eventually closed that uh, business due to divorce. Um, took a break from doing being an entrepreneur, worked for Dell for a period of time before circling back and deciding to get back into the entrepreneurial business um, uh, re- more recently. So, with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Bob. Thank you, Devin. Appreciate that. So I just gave a real quick run through of your journey and kind of how you got to where <laughs> so, you're at So today. it's done then, or are we done? <laughs> oh, why not? We can just call it early. It's a Friday today. That's and so we'll right, just call it early right. and go home. But right, no, I gave, that quick inter- I gave that quick introduction, but why don't we now take us back to when you were 12 or 13, started out your journey with selling newspapers and walk us through how you got to where you're at today. Uh, boy, that's a long journey. Um, The selling newspapers kind of came as just it was an advertisement, so it was an opportunity, and I thought, oh, this sounds like fun, so I Mm. tried it and was successful at it. Um, I only stopped doing it because of my father's job, which moved us from Illinois at that time to California. Uh, Mm. Other than that, I mean, who knows how far it would have gone or not have gone, you know? So, uh, like you said, from there, I went to various other opportunities and ideas that I had. Um, my latest one prior to working for a Fortune 500 company. Maybe, I won't yeah, maybe jump, jump back because we dived over a, a good amount of all that your journey is. But, you know, so you did that, you sold newspapers, did that for a period of time. And then I think one that, that I thought was interesting is you also went and did a product that was called Bold Saver. Is that right? Yeah, uh, bulb saver. In all honesty, was a flop. Mm. Um, but you know, you don't know till you don't try. Um, I didn't do any market research or anything like that. I thought the product was great, but uh, evidently, I was the only one. But you, it's not a failure if you learn from it. 
Mm. So from bulb saver, I went to working for other companies. I sold cars for a while, was very good at that because I'm a people person. Mm. Uh, probably my next successful venture after that was, well, you're asking me to go back a long way. When I think um, you said after you went to school, you went and worked for American Wholesale Jewelry for a period no, of time? No, I started or? American Wholesale Jewelry. Okay, so you started that. I owned it. Yeah, and my first sale, the first sale was a Rolex. Mm. Um, we did, I imported diamonds directly from the cutter and colored stones also directly from the cutter. Mm. Uh, basically, the premise of ho American Wholesale Jewelry was going to a retail store, see what you like, come to me, I'll cut the cost or hmm. take a picture of it and let me manufacture the ring custom for you. And that worked very well. So, right. but then again, a relocation. So American wholesale jewelry was closed. Uh, from that point, I went to probably, I guess the next one was probably micro data technologies. Okay. So now, so you did that. And, and so one question maybe to follow up. So you did um, the, you started American Wholesale Jewelry, did that for a period of time. And then you moved was, you know, when you're shutting down a business, you can do a couple things. You can just uh, shut it right down, close the doors, you know, uh, sell off all the assets, so to speak, and move on. You can sell it to somebody else. If, you know, somebody else is interested in buying right. it, or you can, you know, transplant or move the business so to speak to a new location as you're deciding kind of how to shut down the business as you're moving how did you decide kind of between those different options uh with american wholesale jewelry it was easy because um the person that who was manufacturing the custom jewelry for me was also relocating to colorado at that time and jewelry face it is a luxury item it's not something you need. It's something you want. Okay. That's something to keep in mind for all you future entrepreneurs. Is it a need? Is it a requirement or is it a luxury item? Okay. So a plastic bag is a need. A jewelry is a luxury item. So I basically just shut down the company to answer your question in, in long story. Okay. Makes sense. So now, so now you're moving and you're, you're coming into a new town. You're saying, okay, I previously was in the, the jewelry business and did that for a period of time. Now, how did you decide what to do next? Was it, hey, maybe I'll start up a new jewelry business here, or I want to take a break and I'll go into something different? Or kind of how did you decide as you're entering in a new location, a new, a new place, what you wanted to do next? Um, well, I mean, to immediately make an income, of course, you, it, the easiest way is to go to work for somebody else. So that's what I did for a short time. Uh, from that point, I opened a I opened uh, Microdata Technologies. So you worked for now. Just uh, not jumping too quickly. So you worked for someone else for a period of time. Now, as you're working for them, was that kind of just hey, I need to get a bit of income as I'm going to get a new business because I want to do my own thing again, yes. or kind yes. of okay. Yes, and I also learned a new technology, a new trade. So the best way to do that is from experience. Um, books can teach you how to do something, but experience shows you how, okay? Um, so I started Microdata Technologies, um, in 1994, I think it was, 
And within 18 months, we were the largest CDR duplication facility in all of North America. Okay. And now, I and sold for those of company, you that are, for the listeners that don't know, what is a, is a CBR? A CDR. Oh, gotcha. So compact CDR. disc recordable. Gotcha. Um, at that time, um, the compact disc, what we call CDs now, were uh, the technology only allowed for, <laughs> I can't explain it without being technical, but it only allowed for what's called a SCSI interface. And a PC is a SATA-based interface. So in other words, you had to have specialized equipment in order to make copies of CDs okay. as opposed to manufacturing them. The difference between microdata, what Microdata did and a CD manufacturing company did is a CD manufacturing company actually starts with glass or plastic pellets, and they make a CD, they sputter it, and that's, a, that's actually the term they use, with aluminum, and then they write all the little grooves and divots in it that actually records either the data or the music, okay? Sure. But you have to order a minimum quantity, and at that time, the lead time was very long. Um, and you know, you had to order 5,000 of them and it may take you two to three weeks to get, well, the niche in that market was if you had, you could duplicate a CD from a master and do it through equipment with a CDR, which stands for CD recordable. Um, we could do them very quickly and turn 3000 units around in a matter of days, as opposed to a manufacturing plant which might take several weeks. Okay. So, so it definitely makes sense. So now you get into CDRs, you're manufacturing those. And I think when we talked a bit before, you did that for a period of about six or seven years, grew that, yes. as you said, to one of the biggest or biggest companies within that industry. Now, how did you make the transition from there to getting into Opals from Australia? Um, <laughs> Opals have always intrigued me. Hmm. So it was more of a personal thing. And I started, you know, doing my research, digging around. And the opals that I dealt with were not the opals that you see in jewelry stores that are about the size of maybe um, your fingernail or smaller, depending on the size of your hand. And they're always white. Um, they are very colorful. But I was dealing in gem quality opals and I was buying them directly from the miners who own the mines in Australia and they were the size of your thumb and were black opals, which is the highest quality opal you can get. Okay. So now that answers part of my question. My only question was, is if you had a, or rephrasing my question, if you had a successful CDR business, you were doing well in the industry, you, you know, one of the biggest ones, <coughs> excuse Bless me. You. Um, you know, what made you decide, okay, I'm going to shut down or otherwise, you know, move away from that business and okay. go more into Opals, which, you know, seems like a, a fairly big turn or a big difference. And so just kind of, you know, what made that, what prompted that, uh, that change or were you running both the businesses at the same time or how did you No, do that? I wasn't. I wasn't. Um, excuse me. The, I shut down Microdata Technologies. Actually, I sold the company to a fort, another, a Fortune 500 company because I saw the industry changing. Um, it got to the point where, if you recall, I mentioned that it, at one point, uh, a CDR drive, CD recordable, was SCSI based. Well, 
it, they finally, not finally, but they figured out how to make them SATA-based, which meant that they could now start putting CDR or CD recordable drives in personal PCs, which meant that instead of somebody coming to me to get copies of a CD, they could do that on their own PC. And I saw the technology changing. Okay. And so to because I saw that changing, I said, okay, now it's time to get out. Okay. Let's get out while the getting is good before everybody and their and their mother, so to speak, um, has a CDR drive in their PC. Sure. So you, you have to know when to get out. No, and I think that's a good point. You know, with any business, you have to look at the market, keep a prize of it, and look at the timing of, hey, is this going in the direction where everybody is going to become a commodity or everybody's going to be doing it? And if so, let's uh, get out, as you said, while the getting's good or right. leave on a high note so that you can uh, still or capitalize and, and get a, a good return on your business. So, so you did that. You saw the, the writing on the wall. The, things are changing. People are going to be able to have their deep drives and their, you know, on their computer. They're going to be able to make their own copies and we're not going to be able to stay in the business. So that's where then it prompted. You'd already had the interest in Opals and decided to, to shift over to that. Yes. And Opals was just more of a, um, a hobby that turned into a business. Okay. So, and you did not Now, how long did you sell Opals and, you know, how did that go for you for a while? Uh, for the first part, it went very well. And then, uh, other entrepreneurs uh, or, um, opportunists, you may say, uh, kind of saw what I was doing and, you know, through mental calculations and maybe being an entrepreneur or, or an opportunist, um, saw what I was doing and started copying me at, but they were started undercutting what I was selling them for and through websites and auction sites etc and i just said this isn't worth it i mean i was dealing with directly with the miners and i offered certified appraisals on the opals uh, which none of my competitors did but you know i can tell you like when i own the diamond business um i can tell you this diamond is worth x amount of dollars and, but do you want to buy it from me with a, a, a backed up certified appraisal or do you want to buy it from somebody else for three or four hundred dollars less, but you don't get that certified appraisal? Mm. And that's what happened with Opals. And I just finally said, you know what, it, it's worth not it's not worth the fight. Mm. Makes sense. So it isn't. So no, and I, and I get that. And, you know, at some point you're saying, okay, we can continue to compete and fight. And, it, you know, it's gonna, it gets harder and it, it's, it's a point to where the business no longer makes sense. So from there, I think you, if you kind of now transition saying, okay, it's no longer worth a fight. I'd like to do something different. Yeah, I think you got into restoration of watches and doing custom watches. Yes. And so uh, primarily Seiko. So now how did you, you know, was that due to kind of overlap with the jewelry business and opals and kind of diamonds and no. that, or kind of, how did you get into watch restoration? Because again, <laughs> kind of like you get into making or going from, you know, doing jewelry wholesale, now you're doing co or copying of CDs or DV, you know, CDs to getting into opals. And now it's a different, another switch to restoring watches and doing custom watches. How did you kind of land on that? Um, it's actually kind of funny. 
my wife and I, my wife at the time, and I both wore Seiko Kinetic watches, which have a capacitor inside the watch that charges itself as you move your wrist. There is a rotor that runs across an, a, a wire coil that charges that capacitor so that you don't have to switch out batteries. Okay. Well, eventually, at some point, that capacitor in that watch will no longer hold enough of a charge. And that usually takes anywhere from five to about seven years. Okay. And I thought, well, okay, these need to be replaced. I wonder if I can do it. So I went on, thank you, Google, and researched it. And I thought, well, gosh, I can repair both of our watches for less than half of what a jeweler would charge me to repair them. So I bought the parts and the pieces and all that kind of stuff and repaired both of them and they were fine. And of course, being an entrepreneur, I thought, well, shucks, how many other people are in that boat where they, you know, they want their watch repaired, but they don't want to pay a jeweler, a jeweler's cost. And since I have basically at that time, no overhead, let's see what I can do. So I started, that's where it started. It started with that, just real simple repairs. And the business grew to the point where I was actually um, doing major watch repairs and also creating custom watches. And so, that was over a period of about 10 years. So you did that for a pretty good period of time. And, you know, sounds like it'd be an interesting, hey, if I can do this, figure out a way to do a cheaper, better, faster type of a thing than what right. others out there, I can, you know, I can compete with them and I can be Correct. successful. So now, now I, th I think as you, as we chatted a bit, that business is going well. Now you got a divorce, you know, because of the messiness of the divorce, you decided to shut that one down or you were forced to, is that about right? Yes, that is correct. It, it was a decision on my part to shut it down. So you, so now you shut it down and you say, okay, you know, I still, in fact, to be honest with you, I shut that business down seven years ago and I still get emails from people wanting me to work on their watches. No. So it sounds like it was a successful business, but for outside reasons or reasons unrelated to the business decided wasn't able to keep it open. So I think at that point, we then talked about as you were shutting that down due to the divorce, you decided to take a break from entrepreneurship for a period of time and go work for yes. Dell. Is that right? That's correct. So you go work for Dell. Now, what made you say, cause you had a quite a bit of an entrepreneurial career. You went from jewelry wholesale, you did the DV, you know, CDs, you did the, your watch restoration. So most of your career has really been, and even since 12 or 13, you've been doing an entrepreneur was just simply just, Hey, I've, you know, fought the good fight, the light of fight, a lot of fun things and, you know, do it. Now I want to take a break and let somebody else worry about that. Or what made you decide to divert from the entrepreneurial path and do, or do, do your stint at Dell? At Dell? The divorce. Okay. Period. That was it. No, so you what, want an I, honest answer? I'm gonna, you know. No, it. I like that. I like the honest that's answer. You know, but what what was it? You know, and if if I'm not prying too much, what was it about a divorce that made you not want to be an entrepreneur? Was it the entrepreneurial life was hard on the you know on the wife or the family and that or kind of what was it that from a divorce made you say I don't want to you know I want to take. Well, a break I was running the business from the house. Oh, okay. So, um. That's another thing to all you future entrepreneurs, watch your overhead. Uh, I was running the business from the house. I had, we had a, a really nice house and I had converted the formal dining room, which no one uses anyway, into my office and little workshop area. 
where I would actually work on watches. So not knowing where I was going next after the divorce, I said, okay, well, I either need to go find a job or I need to rent space or I need to, and there's too many variables. Um, so the safest thing to do at that time, not for me, but for my family and my kids was for me to get a job working somewhere else that had a guaranteed income and basically start life over at 50. Okay, no, definitely makes sense. So now you have to, you know, and it's, I'm sure it was a difficult time to be able to go through the divorce and they also have to, you know, adjust and, and it change that, the business. It wasn't that bad. We, we, we parted amicably. Oh, cool. So well, that's, that's definitely great to hear. So now I do this stint to Dell for a period of time. And what did you do with Dell for or when you worked with Dell? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> started in as a, in pro support and moved up to now I am a senior analyst in sales operations. And I have actually just yesterday, Yesterday, I got wind of another opportunity for advancement at Dell, which would move me up the ladder. And I have a meeting on that Monday. And there's, I really can't say much more about that at this time. No, and that definitely makes sense. And don't want to mess anything up for your meeting on Monday. So, oh, you wouldn't. So, (laughs) but it's, there are some things at Dell you don't talk about in public. Definitely makes sense. So you, so now you're, you're doing it with Dell, you get the, you see the opportunity. I think you also talked about, you know, about a, a year or so ago, and I could be wrong on the dates. You also started to kind of start to look at an additional business or get back a bit into entrepreneurship. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So now what, what was that? What are you doing now? And kind of how, to, you know, what, what prompted after taking a break for a period of time to get back into entrepreneurship? Um, it, I, I, I love being an entrepreneur. Um, I like being in control is probably not, not the right thing to say, but um, I like being able to steer the ship, so to speak. Sure. Okay. Captain your own destiny, Uh, steer your own ship. Exactly. Exactly. I want to be in charge of my own future. Um, So the, even though I still work at Dell, um, I am constantly researching, looking at other opportunities. Um, The thing that I do like about Dell is because, of course, everybody knows Michael. He's an entrepreneur, so he really um, promotes the the entrepreneur spirit within the company, which, of course, I have. Um, And there have been times that... um, (laughs) How do I say this without getting myself in trouble? Um, there have been times when I thought about going maybe someplace else, but they knew that, well, if we do this, maybe Bob will stay here and that will scratch his entrepreneur, you know, um, itch, so to speak. Hmm. So Dell has been very successful at doing that, um, in letting me be me and giving me challenges and impossible tasks to accomplish, um, before you even ask this, I will answer it. Am I going to start my own company again? The answer is a definite and definitive yes. <laughs> hey, and you answer, anticipated my own, or my question as well. And I, but I think that I, I think that 
if you've done entrepreneurship, or at least if you've enjoyed entrepreneurship, there's always oh, that desire it. to captain your own ship to do, you know, guide your own destiny and figure out, you know, how can I do this better, cheaper, faster than others? How right. can I improve the process? And I think you just get to be wired that way. And whether you're doing it for somebody else in their business for a period of time, or you're doing it yourself, it's the same wiring. So definitely makes sense. So now that kind of brings you up, you know, brings us up to where you're at today. So with that will transition to the two questions I always ask at the end of each podcast. So the first question I always ask is along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made? And what did you learn from it? Bolt savers. And thanks <laughs> for bringing that up. <laughs> so um, now, when, now worst decision was bolt savers. What did you learn from it? Um, never do that again. Uh, <laughs> just what I learned from it is this, just because I think it's a great idea. Doesn't mean everybody else does. Hmm. No, and I think that that, that is a, a good thing or a good lesson to learn because a lot of entrepreneurs fall into that where they're saying, right. you know, oh, this is a great idea and I love it. And I can see all the, you know, all the ways I would use it in the vision. And one, you may find out it's not a good idea or, or you know, or it's such, it's a good idea, but there's such a small market or segment of the market that's willing to pay for it. It's hard to access them or find them or they may not be willing to pay as much as they think. And so there's always things that just because in your mind, it's a good idea and practical application, there may be drawbacks as to reasons why it may not work in the marketplace, whether you can't, you know, there's not enough customer support. You're not able to make it cheap enough. You're not able to make it fast. Well, enough. everybody had light bulbs back then, right. but not everybody was sold on the idea that this little bitty metal disc that you put in the light bulb so socket would extend the life of your light bulb. Hmm, definitely but i sense. thought oh wow man that's cool <laughs> but i was what 22 23 but it, it wasn't a failure because i learned from it that's right all right fair enough that's a good a good lesson to learn from so now we'll jump to the second question which is if you're talking to somebody that's just getting to a startup or a small business what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them um, I thought about this because you and I had discussed this a little bit before even, and um, I'm going to steal something that I've never forgotten that I learned 35, 40 years ago. And I, I, people today may not be familiar with it. It's called the Entrepreneur's Credo. All right. And one major line in the entrepreneur's credo, in fact, it may be the first thing is never fall in love with your company. It is a thing, not a person. Hmm. And I like that because and it, it is easy to say and much harder to do because sometimes yes. you really, you really do fall in love with your company because yes. it's almost like I said, whether it's your it's baby. Someone, it's That's what child. I was going to say. It's your baby. It's your child. It's your yes. spouse. It's whatever, because you're working and putting in a ton of time and effort into it. You spend right. a lot of time. You spend a lot of willpower and thought and money and everything else. And so you become, you know, a married married to it, or you become a father of it, or whatever analogy you want to use, because right. it really is. You spend so much time and effort onto it. You don't want to let it go. And yet, if you become so married to it, or you become so endeared to it, that you don't think about the whether or not it's a good idea whether or not you should keep pushing on it whether or not you should just then you don't make the right decision so i definitely like that as a, as a thought and feedback yeah the, the other thing is is that uh one more thing is any decision based solely on money is the wrong decision 
No, I, and I, I totally, totally agree with that. Now, I think anything just based all, solely on passion can also be the wrong decision. In the sense uh, yeah, of I, would, I would agree with that, too. Yes, most definitely. I think, there, I, there's I think a lot of ways find, to make a wrong decision. There's, there, but, but I think that those are two, the, the two wrong. Either I'm going to do this for money and I'm, I can make a lot of money, but I'm really not passionate about it. You're going to wear out. You're going to, you know, once you hit and those don't do blocks, it. it's going to be difficult. On the other hand, you can be very passionate about something. If nobody wants to pay you for it, you're never going to make a business out of it. So you have to find that balance between passion and money or, or what people are willing to pay for and then you get that sweet spot correct also um don't start your own business if you're not a people person because when you start your own business you are everything to everybody hmm. i like that as well so lots of great words of wisdom now as we wrap up the the this episode of the podcast if people want to reach out to you they want to find out more they want to they want to be a listen you know they want to be a follower they want to see what you're doing Dale. they want to hear about what's your next business what you have going on they want to you know reach out to you get some advice they want to be your next best friend any or all of the above <laughs> what's the best way to reach out to you and, and find out more uh email all right so what is that email or what what's the best way to find out your email if they want to reach out to you so i just uh bob fair jr b-o-b-t-h-a-y-e-r-j-r at gmail.com and All that right. is my personal email address. That's not, you know, that's not one that goes into the spam <laughs> folder right away. That, that, that is, that's the email address my family has. So, all right. Well, and I, and I'll tell all the spammers out there, don't go fill his inbox, but for all of you listeners, if you want to find out more, if there's something piqued your interest, you want to or yeah. follow Bob or, or get some advice, definitely feel free to feel free to reach oh, out. I mean, we'd be more than happy to help people out. Awesome. I've helped a lot of entrepreneurs out and, um, for several years, and I didn't mention this, in uh, I was actually a small business consultant where I actually helped small businesses either start or uh, grow. Well, that's so, awesome. That's that's an, another part or a fun part of your journey that someday we'll have to touch on even more. So, well, as we wrap up the episode, appreciate you coming on and uh, thank you. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to apply to be a guest on the podcast, just go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the show. Two more things as listeners. One, if you ever, uh, if uh, make sure to click subscribe in your podcast player so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out. And two, leave a review so everybody else can find out about the awesome episodes as well. Last but not least, if you ever need help with your patents, trademarks, or anything else with your business, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law. Just go to strategymeeting.com. Thank you again, Bob. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure. And wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. All right. If I can help you with anything, I'm here. Awesome. Thank you.